We're going to land on top of a magical, mystical volcano in Indonesia. Three friends, Ian, Stuart, and Neil, have just spent the night under a torrential downpour. No tent, no shelter. They're sorry, stinking, shivering, crying for their mamas. And finally, with the long night over, they scramble back down the mountain as fast as they can go. I'm going to let them take it from here. After about six hours of hiking... We were, you know, singing a song or whatever you do to keep yourself sort of putting one foot in front of the other. But we heard this sort of like, mm, 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 <laughs> sort of my left foot-ish. Mm. And we were like, we kind of stopped because we were sort of, you know, armchair naturalists as well. That might be a uh, yellow-bellied, you know, knuckle cracker. And then we'd hear mm, a little louder. And we kept walking towards it and got closer and closer. And we were like, that's not a bird, that's a person. And we kind of bushwhack, you know, about 10 yards off the trail, and there's a man, an Indonesian man, lying in his tiny, tiny, like, bikini <laughs> underpants in, a, in his tent, which has collapsed. And he's got... Um, a Sprite. Well, he's got a Sprite he's trying to open, like, but he can't open it. He's got cutlery and all sorts of crystal wear. You know, on the edge of sort of like a... A pretty steep drop off, you know. He was, he was, he was, he was hypothermic, you know. I mean, he was, we didn't. Yeah, he was lying there, shivering, making no sense, trying to open his sprite with like a piece of wood, and obviously out of his out of his gourd. So Ian just took him, and he just hugged him, just hugged the life into this guy. He got just, naked first. Well, I think he took I some took, I, I took off. some clothes off because I think yeah. I did a little skin on skin. <laughs> It was an intimate moment. That's what I'm saying. Like I don't, you know, I mean, I'm. You just look at it and you think that's that's a, a, a that was a, a, a big move. You stripped down and held him and put heat back into his body. Right. I mean, it was it was, it was amazing. It was really amazing. When but, when you hugged him, did he try to get away? No, no. He was uh, he was kind of like a big kid. He was sort of like having a baby. So after we've realized that he's, he's, he's coming to, we try to carry him down these um, the giant steps. The giant steps. There was this horrible trail of giant steps. And we each put him on our back and we tried and we'd make it about 100 yards. And I think when Stuart was carrying him, uh, he peed all over Stuart as well. <laughs> Didn't we try to make like a yeah. Uh, we like tried a, to make a we tried to get some sticks and make one make yeah. a stretcher, which totally didn't right. work. You did the stuff that you you know you see on TV and stuff, and and it's not working. He's not cooperating, and he's miserable, and he's screaming. In any case, the the real pivotal decision that we came to after a few hours was to not try and get him down with ropes or gurneys or whatever, but to let him in whatever form he could use his own force. Uh, yeah, like holding them. I remember holding them, one from behind and one from the front, and walking down the mountain backwards on these giant steps or whatever they were. But what you did see is you could see in his eyes. You were now on the same wavelength, you know, and, and, and now you were talking to the man's soul. He might have been dying, but at least you were making eye contact and getting someplace. We decided to split up and that I would uh, hike the town and uh, Stuart and Neil would continue walking him down the mountain. So I walk like three or four hours 
I actually run into some farmers on the outskirts of town, and I say in my my budding Indonesian, there is a man on the mountain dying. Come help us. And I'm already... You can <clears throat> do that. You can say that. I can say, man dying, come help us. Uh, and... <clears throat> All they want to know is how much money are you going to pay us if we go if we go help you with the man. So I somehow negotiate that something will be arranged. Uh, but this man is dying. You need to come help us. And so they tie their ox into a tree. Ten minutes later appears the biggest Indonesian man we've ever seen. He's got big muscles. I've got like four guys and me, and we start walking back up the mountain. You've just come down the mountain. Now you've got to go back up it again. Yeah, we got to go back up because they've made very little progress. Uh, but and, and you know that they're in danger of hypothermia if you don't hurry up and get some help. I wasn't too worried about them. They were going to be all right. I don't think we knew we were going to be all right. Really? <laughs> we weren't feeling that way. The the rescue party was... Uh, I remember we met up. It was so exciting. You know, we heard them. They called to the... You know, we heard them faint. And for us, it was, you know, a saving moment. And I remember the, the, the rescue party was <laughs> pretty upset that they thought they were going to save an American. You know what I mean? They were all, like, <laughs> picturing international headlines. And when they found out that it was just some Indonesian guy, you know, like, they were like... Ready to leave him there, you know, and you're, you're kind of like, look at, we're taking him. We let uh, the big strapping Indonesian basically take over, and these guys, they're like, they're farmer strong. They take turns carrying him, and pretty quickly, the whole party gets back down to town, and we went to our uh, place, and we fell asleep for like two days. The guy who we'd saved was with us. Did you talk to him? Um, we did. No meaningful words were exchanged with that guy. Besides, thank you, thank you, you saved my life. He was kind of a dork. Well, the Indonesians wanted to know what this Yahoo was doing on the mountain. So in speaking with the, the, the host family, uh, they were using a word we couldn't understand. We agreed on the word uh, was magic. He was on that mountain looking for magic. It was a powerful mountain that would, would give you magic. What do you mean he went to find magic? He was like a city slicker who had come up to the country to go find magic. So we discussed magic with our host family. They said, you might want to go see a man who lives down the road called the Tuki Man. Who, who's the Tuki Man? Uh, and they said, well, he's a magic man. And, uh, and they all said, and he can take you to see the tigers. And we thought, that sounds great. Like, we, we, we can definitely do that. That's when our friend, Neil, decided, I've kind of had enough. I, I don't want to go meet a magic man. I'm, I've never been this tired. I'm already sort of freaked out by what we just went through in the last four days. I'd like to go back to the city. And we said, great, go back to the city, buy some batiks, and, you know. We were looking for more. Will a magic man take our explorers through the jungle to see tigers? Or will something crazy happen instead? Stay tuned. Snap judgment. The decisions that change everything will be right back. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the show that said he was going to call you back, but never did. I'm Glenn Washington. When we left, our intrepid travelers had just rescued a nerd from certain death before hearing of a mysterious magic man from whom they could glean much knowledge. 
What's more, he could lead them to tigers. So into the jungle, they leapt off towards his distant, rickety, crazy longhouse. Strap on our backpacks and arrive at this really sort of terrifying looking ramshackle house that was the Tukey man's house. And out walks a four and a half foot tall man with the most bizarre haircut you've ever seen. He's got two like balls of hair on his, on his, on his, on his head, sort of like where antlers would go in a deer. He was very, very, very cool and invited us into his house. It was dark and there were two candles burning and all of a sudden some guy comes in. 14 year old boy, 15 year old boy. Yeah. And so he lies down on the floor, and I have a look at him, and, then, and I, I think it's kind of weird that there's a guy sort of flopped on the foot of the bed. Stuart's speaking mostly because he speaks more Indonesian about how many bags of sugar we need and how many bags of rice, and, and I'm peering over the edge, and, and the, the kid at the foot of the bed is starting to get a little agitated and starting to move around and moan and uh, as though he's, you know, got a fever or something. And then, you know, it's kind of boom, 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 you know, like things are, he's really thrashing around down there and we can hear it kind of like, like bumping against the bed. And, um, and I say, Stu, I look at him I'm like, man, they, 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 there's a guy down here. He's not doing very well. And, uh, Stuart's like, shh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in an important discussion with Tukey Man. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and then now, and now the guy is, the kid is flopping around like a tuna after it's been brought out of the ocean. He's like, you know, flapping around. And I'm like, Stu. And the kids are screaming. They're terrified because he's, he's kind of a spectacle. And the Tukey Man just kind of moves in and takes over, grabs the guy's hand, and he starts speaking to him in another language. And the Tukey man just takes a glass of water with flowers in it and sort of holds his head and the kid greedily gulps the, the glass of water down with the flowers, flowers and all. And then he kind of calms down and we thought, oh, great, you know, obviously he's okay. And then the kid jumps up in some kind of like super ninja pose in the middle of the living room and does like some serious Bruce Lee. Sh He's doing these kicks, karate chops, and like hi like intense. And right then, the wind starts blowing really bad, and the tin roof on the place is like, whoop, 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 whoop. and and I started running for the door. I, I was I, I was terrified. Wait, wait, wait. The wind is blowing. It's howling right when he's doing his chops and right stuff. Right when he's doing his karate chops, the wind is like, you know, just intense. The whole the, the, little... The, the place is the, shaking. The hut feels like it's going to fall apart. And the only thing that kept me there was Stuart. He grabbed me by the sleeve and he said, just wait. It's going to be okay. The Tukey man knows what he's doing. And so Wait, I, wait, wait, wait. Slow down. Stuart, what? Did, what? did this happen? That happened. At, at that point... Whatever was trying to happen, I might have uh, been able to help, you know, if I were to just open up, you know, and so I, 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 I kind of did. I guess I just um, sort of let it, let it through me, you know what I mean? Like whatever energy force, whatever you believe in that was supposed to be, um, that was happening. I mean, you don't have any idea what's happening, but I just felt like the convulsions transformed, you know, almost as if Mr. Mr. the Tookie Man needed, like, uh, everybody there to be um, channeling, you know, if you believe in that stuff or whatever. Um, I don't really know how I stand on it, but that's, that's how I felt at that moment. And that's when he did come back. Well, later on, uh, 
what Tookie Man told us was that that was his father who had come back through that boy. Stuart. Yeah. Do you think that the Tookie Man's father came back through that boy? I, I, I do. I do. I, I, uh, being a scientist, I necessarily have to amend that by saying there's a lot of possibilities out there. But yeah, I believe it. Yes, dude. It was, it was definitely Tookie Man's father. Uh, well, look, the, the, the boy had a transformation. We saw and we felt. It wasn't just that you said, if you just saw it, if you yeah, saw it, film, it was a feeling. What did it feel like? And what, what, what about this, this, this pounding on the roof, this electricity in the air? It felt like the Tookie Man was really in control. Stuart and I were like shaken to our core. And this guy was like, where were we? When it started, I just, I just sort of centered and let it go through me. But then there came a point. You're wondering if you are letting something channel through you, maybe you lose yourself. You know, maybe it's gonna take you, you know, if you're that opened up. And at that point, I shut off. And at that point, the karate master lay back down. And that's something I look back on and I, I don't know if I, I, I regret it or, or not. You know, maybe you feel like you could have been more believing or, or maybe it was the time. You know, maybe you just have to know when to say like, well, what's fun is fun, but I'm not gonna lose my soul or whatever, you know? Get, like, <laughs> get, get eaten up by a karate goblin spirit from Indonesia right. and never come back. And, and I just, on a real deep level, I just, you know, or I just, I just closed off and it, and it, and it stopped. You know, that's where you really see you can you can go as deep as you want to go. You know, it's there and you can touch it and you can be part of it. You know, and it's all, you know, how how far down the rabbit hole are you are you willing to go? Stuart says these walls are not real. Stuart says you can go down the rabbit hole. I have been down the rabbit hole, and when I was there, I met a guy. 